Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. On today's episode, I speak with David Green, Head of Innovation at Bledin Palace, and Joseph Paul, the Associate Director, Key Account Manager at Venices. We're talking about data, but not just the importance of it. We all know that, right? David and Joe are going to share the exciting data and AI reporting systems that Blenheim have created, allowing them to predict and not just report on past performance. This is a really interesting episode, and if you've been a little bit put off or a little bit scared about AI up until this point, this might be the episode that changes your mind. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. David, Joe, it is lovely to have you both on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me on Skip the Queue. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. That sounded very positive, guys. Thanks. I feel the enthusiasm. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> really see how both. the first question goes, shall we? <laughs> Listen, everyone worries about these icebreaker questions. It's just, we're just in a pub, in a coffee shop, having a little chat. That's all it is. Right. I want to know, we'll start with you, Joe. What was the last thing you binged watch on your streaming service of choice? Gosh, that's um, that's a very, very good question. The last series we binge watched was a series called Bodies on Netflix, which is about a murder that happens in four different time periods and four detectives are trying to solve the murder. Very good if you haven't watched it. I have seen this and it, Joe, it hurt my head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is hard to keep track of some of the... Um, some of the the plots through the different times um but there's a very good ending worth watching if you haven't david tonight i don't get a chance to watch tv <laughs> what about if you uh, so uh, same question to you david i want to that's a really good series as well joe i thoroughly enjoyed that although it did hurt my the, the backwards forwards bit a little bit was a bit mind-blowing same question to you david what was the last thing that you binge watched well, the last thing I probably binge watched was probably Breaking Bad. That just sort of shows you how long ago it was I binge watched anything. But I'm desperate to watch it again. It was so good. I was just hooked on the first episode. I just loved every single minute of that. Have you seen that, Joe? Yes. Very, very good series. Probably one of the, the best of all time. And the question back would be, have you watched Better Call Saul? Yeah, but I didn't find it as good, I could say. I didn't find it as good. It was still great. You know, I'm very fussy in the green household. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only person in the whole world who's not watched Breaking Bad, which is like, this is quite controversial, isn't it? Everybody says that I would love it and I should watch it. But I feel overwhelmed that there's so many series to it and it would take up all of my TV viewing time for months and months and months. So it's like it would be the only thing that I could probably watch for the entire year. And that feels too much. It's well worth it. Absolutely, you should do it. Dedicate, well dedicate 2024 yeah. is the year for Breaking Bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. going to own up. I've not watched a single episode of The Crown either. And some of it was filmed at Blenheim, so I'm really embarrassed <laughs> to admit that on this podcast. That is a statement in a half, David. <laughs> See, this is why I do the icebreakers. You never know what dirt you're going to get out. <laughs> okay, um, I want to know, David, we're going to start with you on this one. What is the one food or drink that you cannot eat and you can't even think about without feeling a little bit queasy? That's cheese pastry straight away. I remember when I was at school, we had a 
home economics class. I remember making these cheese straws and I took them home and I was so violently ill after these cheese straws. Ever since, I just can't even look at cheese pastry. All these nibbles that people put out for drinks, can't bear it. Cheese and pastry together is wrong. This is really sad. I love a little cheese straw. Oh, I feel sad for you that you can't eat a cheese straw, David. I, I, I feel sad for you. Joe, what about you? I can pretty much eat anything and I'm, I'm not overly put off by much. I think the one thing that turns me away from food is, is horseradish and any sauce. Um, that's probably my only sort of food that I won't go to and puts me off eating anything that has... Just horseradish or, or sauce in general? Like, Are we talking like sweet, sweet chilli dip? No, just 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 horseradish. So anything that has that in it, I will stay away from. But mm. apart from that, I'll I'll pretty much eat anything anyone puts on my plate. <laughs> I think you're missing out, Joe. Do you know what's probably really nice as well is, is a cheese straw with horseradish. <laughs> <laughs> cheese straws are the best. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave the room in a minute if we keep talking about cheese straws. Uh, sorry. All right. Let's let's move on from that. Right. I want to know. I think I, I was quite kind with those ones, but I want to know what your unpopular opinions are. Um, Joe, let's start with you. Not sure this is going to go down too well, but my unpopular opinion is Harry Potter is an overrated film series. Books or films or both? Uh, films, predominantly. Wow. <laughs> I mean, my husband would absolutely agree with you. So he, I got him to watch the first one and then we got halfway through the second one and he just, he, he paused it and looked at me and said, Kelly, I just can't do this. I'm sorry. And left the room. <laughs> just, that was it. Done. Um, I can understand that. So we, <laughs> in, our, in our household, we we alternate between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. So we uh, we compromise we have a Harry Potter, then a Lord of the Rings, and then is, go through. Is your partner Harry Potter then? So, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, my wife is very much a Harry Potter fan. Mm, interesting. That is quite controversial. How do you feel about that, David? It's very disappointing, Joe, actually. <laughs> Sorry to let you down. We might we might have to end this now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this, this beautiful relationship that we're going to talk about has come to an abrupt end <laughs> over Harry Potter. Harry Potter and cheese straws. <laughs> <laughs> Um, David, same question to you. What is your unpopular opinion? I didn't think I had any unpopular opinions until I started really thinking about it. And I have to say, and my original, this is really going to divide the room, was dancing. Non-professional dancing. I mean, I'm not a dancer. I've got a body of a dad. I am a dad. And my wife and my daughter are very, very, very good dancers. And I think it's just years of standing by a bar at a wedding with that person go, come on, get on the dance floor, come on, and they track you up. And then you, busting moves is probably the wrong description, but it's just looking around the room on the, on the floor with other people sort of bobbing around awkwardly, looking and all the blokes typically <laughs> looking at each other going, oh, get me home. And it's that awkwardness I find really difficult. And I'm going to be cheeky and, and another one because I just remembered that I, concerts is another one. So you, you go, you spend a fortune going to a concert. I took my daughter once to Ariana Grande and I'd just been dragged to Arctic Monkeys. And we drove hours and hours and hours to this place. And we were, my wife had got rose red, I think, which was, I needed binoculars to even see the stage. <laughs> I was absolutely freezing, completely freezing. I didn't dress appropriately. I was dressed 
in a shirt and tie typically because that was Arctic Monkeys. You went to a shirt and tie at Arctic Monkeys concert, what? <laughs> I remember walking down to the bottom of the stadium, I'm freezing, I'm just going to get some clothes, and they let me out and I had to buy Arctic Monkeys merchandise and I came up the steps wearing an Arctic Monkeys hoodie, number one fan, to my <laughs> wife and daughter absolutely laughing hilariously. And I had to listen to the music for two hours and then... Um, I got home about three in the morning, and my wife had promised me dinner out. Went to a wild bean cafe at one a.m. on my way home. So that's <laughs> what a treat. Dancing and concerts. Or <laughs> just sneaking next to one in. Well, no, I love this. I mean, it was, it's like an elongation of it, isn't it? You know, they, they, they're they're one. They go hand in hand. Um, I would be that person at a wedding though, trying to get you on the dance floor, which which made me start laughing. And then I lost it uh, at shirt and tie at an Arctic Monkeys gig. I, just, I don't know what, what were you thinking. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's my favourite unpopular opinion, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you both for sharing. <laughs> Shall we talk about some serious stuff? I've seen Shall you I... cry on the podcast oh, before. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a cry. I've definitely had a cry cry on the podcast, but um, a cry of laughter, I'm not sure. Uh, that's really That's really got me today. Right. Serious stuff. We're going to talk about data today, which is very serious stuff. <laughs> um. <laughs> We all know the importance of data. We've talked about data hundreds and hundreds of times in various different guises on this podcast. However, um, we're going to talk about reporting today, but with a twist. So reporting is often, usually, about things that have already happened. You know, we're looking at past visitor numbers. We're looking at how many visitors came and how much they spent in the cafe on a particular day, what the weather was like on a past particular day, so we can predict whether it might be like that this year. But Blenheim are doing something completely different with reporting, which when we had a chat about it prior to this this episode, it just it blew my mind a little bit. And it's such a brilliant case study. You need to share this with the world. Firstly, though, I want you to just both of us tell us a little bit about your your role and your background. So, Joe, can you start first? Tell us tell us what about tell us a little bit about your role and, and how you came into it. Yeah, of course. Um, so I've been uh, uh, in the industry for six years now within the visitor attraction industry and um, working at Venesis. Um, and my role is a key account manager. So I work closely with our clients um, throughout the lifetime of their contracts. So making sure they are getting the most out of the, the system and, and that sort of return on investment they've put into the, the software they've purchased. So I've uh, worked closely with David and the Blenheim team for, for about six years now. Um, and prior to that, I was also in a, an account management as well uh, within a, a software business. Great. David, over to you. Got a very wicked history with Blenheim. I think next year will be the 30th year when I first walked through the doors. Gosh. Um, so I, when I was studying at college, it was my first sort of part-time weekend Christmas job. Um, and I was, I was a butler for the 11th Duke and Duchess, and that was great. If I'd gone and loads of stuff. I feel like there's a podcast episode on its own about that part of your career. I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can speak too, too much about that. But I remember when I when I finished college, my mother said, when are you going to get a proper job? And the phone rang and I ended up working at Blenheim, moved into the clock tower at Blenheim. That was my first flat. It was quite incredible, I have to say. But um, after leaving when I was 21, I just changed direction. So I became a developer. So I learned to program. And I worked for a little agency in Abingdon for two doctors who were both um, very, very bright guys. Yeah, I just put the hours in and learned to program. 
And really, that probably led to where I am today. I learned very quickly to problem solve and learned very quickly how to develop things. And so when I finally joined Blenheim again, uh, full-time, enabled me to sort of trial new things uh, very quickly, you know, fail fast. And uh, that kind of led to our first real-time reporting platform, which which I developed myself. Amazing. This was really this was really a combination of you know seeing that the business had lots of data and seeing that a lot of the data was inputted in manually. So being able to develop something that could um, I don't know, contextualize data in a better way, but get people you know looking at the data in a much faster way. I think that's where it sort of started from. And that is what we're going to talk about today. And you've got um, you've got a really interesting job title. So you're you're head of innovation at Blenheim Palace. Um, are there many other heads of innovation in the sector? Because we have well, there's lots of kind of I, I mean Alva, for instance, brilliant organisation. They do lots of kind of individual meetups. So heads of marketing meetups, CEO meetups, uh, head of visitor service meetups. I haven't seen them do a head of innovation meetup yet. So I question how many of you are there. I don't think there's very many at all. Um, but the title is becoming more and more known, I think, across multiple sectors. Um, and it was really the sort of creation. I was head of digital at Blenheim for eight or nine years. And it was really the creation of Dominic Hay, our, our CEO, who saw the need for research development. You know, it's, it's the, the role is really about hunting for problems. Um, and as much as we're well known for our Vista business, we have a thriving land business and a thriving real estate business. And I get to work across those three tiers, which is really exciting. Something for problems. I get to work with um, universities. So we have a really strong university partnership, both at Oxford Brooks and the Oxford University. And this really allows us to, you know, bring in some of the latest research academics into a real world environment to solve problems together. So that's really exciting. Uh, but then the sort of second thing I, I work on as head of innovation is live data. So um, I have a data background, so it meant that very quickly, I could bring all of our data into one place um, to drive greater insight. And then, and then the third tier is looking at sort of customer experience changes. So if anyone sees my post on LinkedIn, you'll see we've uh, brought in a new returnable cup scheme where all of our cups are RFID enabled. So we're looking at eradicating single-use cups right the way through to a transformation, transformation project around um, implementing digital wallets and pumps. Um, so there's lots of different things right the way through to you know, encouraging our businesses to come by green transport, which is very much tied into our 2027 pledge to become carbon neutral. That's lovely. It's good. Yeah, that's really interesting that you sit across so many different facets and it's not just about data and reporting and digital, really. So w- what we're going to talk about today is a particular project that you've been you've both been involved in and I'm going to kind of split it split this into two because there's two areas that I kind of want to focus on I want to hear about what the project is and all of the things and benefits that it's brought to Blenheim which David's going to talk about and then Joe I, I want to then come over to you and talk about how you kind of made this happen from a supplier perspective and the things that you've need to work through together with your client and maybe some of the things that you've had to change and implement to be able to support your client to do the things that they want to do with your system so david i'm going to start with you can you give us kind of a a, an overview of what this this project is like the background to it and then what led to that project happening well that's a you know background is like many organizations in this sector we have lots and lots and lots of data um often we'd report out of proprietary systems um we don't contextualize our data very well 
And I wanted to bring all the information to one area so we could really apply context, but also look at trends in that data. So this sort of built up our first real-time reporting platform that we were able to get data into the hands of the operations teams, other teams, really, really quickly. But it wasn't really supportable uh, just by me here at Blenheim. So we were looking at one, finding a platform that we could utilize to allow us to get data out to people in a much more secure way. You know, I was handling all the visualizations and things, and there's better tools for that. So that's uh, one of the reasons. The second thing is, you know, looking at data, I wanted to try using AI to identify patterns. So what's the correlation between certain data sources? You know, there's one, you know, a group of visitors wearing wet coats, does that have an impact on the environmental conditions? You know, what's the optimal number of people in a retail space to maximize to understand? All those sorts of things were unanswered questions. So I utilized one of our Oxford Brooks relationships that we already had, and we applied for a, what's called a knowledge transfer partnership, so a KTP, which is match funded. So it's Innovate UK match funded, and that I highly, highly recommend them as a starting point. And what that does, it brings in an associate who works full time. This project was, I think, 32 months. Um, but also, you get access to you know different parts of the university. And in our case, we had access to the technical faculty as well as the business faculty. So you've got you know real experts in the field working with an associate that's embedded here at Blenheim that can help us solve that problem. Uh, and we were fortunate to win win the application and the grant money, um, and then we cloud on. So we we called it a smart visitor management system. Um, that's for the headline. And really the two key subsystems of that was the customer insight and prediction. So we wanted to look at how we could predict business numbers. We know all of the knock-on impacts of that in terms of better planning, reducing food waste, all those sorts of things. But then we also want to look at the visitor flow. So that's almost saying, well, where are visitors right now and where are they going to go next? So they're the two sort of component parts. Such a brilliant introduction to AI as well, because I think it's such a current topic right now. And um, I was at a recent Alva meeting where there was a phenomenal speaker um, talking about the implications of AI and and the opportunities that it could bring. And I think there was a 50-50 split of the audience of 50% of them were terrified about this new technology and what it might potentially mean. And then 50% were really, you know, inspired by it and see these huge opportunities from it. I think this is such a brilliant case study to show how it can be used to your advantage uh, in a very non-scary way. <laughs> I think with you know AI can be scary, but actually this is you know, it's all about governance at the end of the day. And actually, what we were doing is using machine learning to identify patterns in large data sets to help us, you know, be better informed. What have been the benefits of implementing this kind of level of data reporting? So, what have you been able to do that you couldn't previously do? Well, predictions is one. So ultimately, you know, we all budget. I mean, the first the first thing to probably say is that. You know, when we do contextual reporting, normally we we access our data from a proprietary system and then bring it into some sort of spreadsheet and then try and tie it into a budget. That's the sort of first thing. Um, it's really getting all of your data sets in a row. So we had budget, we had weather, we had advanced booking, we had ticketing from different sort of platforms. And at the starting point, before we talk, to talk too much about sort of end benefits, were developing a, a data strategy in this centralised concept of a data hub so all of our data is in one place and we're using apis and direct connections and data signature for venices to bring the data into one place 
Um, we also looked at platforms um, environments. So we were looking at Azure, Europe, and Microsoft's business. So actually, we decided Azure was the right um, sort of plan for us. And we came up with a very broad strategy that said, it's, you know, and anything else we procure in the future has to be best in class or it talks to the data hub. And often if it's best in class, it has an API and so you can get that information into one place. So that's the, that's the first thing. The joy of using something like Microsoft and other platforms are available, um, I would say, is to access the power platform. And the power platform sort of answered the problem uh, around how do we visualize our data? How do we automate some of our data? Um, and what data is missing and how can we collect it? So using things like Power Automate, Power BI and Power Apps, I think, was, was really crucial. Once we had all of our sort of data organized, we had the pandemic. And of course, one of the sort of big issues around predicting, um, certainly when you've got lots of data sets, you're trying to look at patterns in data and your data is, you know, finely structured, then you get hit by something like this. And, you know, where are the patterns? You know, what's changed? The business model completely changed. We were a 10% advanced booking business. Suddenly we were either zero or 80 or a hundred and then sort of now, now about 65. So that was a bit of a challenge as well. Um, in terms of then looking at the missing data, and we'll talk a little bit later on maybe about sort of the center network and how do we measure things in remote places. But, you know, ultimately this, the, the core of this project was the data hub, the ability to bring everything into one place, the ability to push that data out. So answering your question quite in a long-winded way, is really about getting the data into the hands of people to allow them to plan better, to be prepared for the day, which is likely to happen today. What are the patterns in that day? Um, and this is where we develop things like um, a concept of similar day. So a similar day might be one that has a similar number of pre-bookings, has similar weather. We look at weather in terms of temperature, wind and rain. It might have a similarity in terms of it was an event day or a weekend uh, or similar budget. And that concept allows us to look forward, which is great. The predictions tend to look at other things. So we have a one naive prediction that looks at previous performance in terms of pre-booking to predict forward. Um, and then another one, we have a what we call adaptive prediction, which allows us to um, look at advanced bookings and then see the change in advanced bookings over time against budget to then alert us to the fact that we might experience more visitors than expected on a particular day. Gosh, that's really powerful, isn't it? And and does, does that mean that your team have access to kind of a dashboard that they can look at at any, one, any given time and be like, ah, okay, we can model next week based on these predictions? Yeah, data's pretty much everywhere. So we have, you know, what one really nice thing, and we had this one I built, so it's a uh, platform, was... TV screens across all of our staff areas. We have 10 or 12 of them across Blenheim. Everyone has access to that data. And that could be how traffic is flowing on the driveway. We, we use ADPIs to look at how busy traffic is outside of our park walls. We look at car park capacity. We look at um, how happy our staff are using what we call a mood metric. So we look at um, that we put those smiley buttons in staff areas to determine how well they think the day is going. So we have access to all of this sort of information. Um, but also then sort of more business reporting through Power BI. So we have a series of what I'd call sort of visual representations of 
activity, but also sort of data that we can export into Excel. Um, so we do a lot of finance reporting as well through Power BI. Um, again, all reporting from that single source of the truth, which is the data hub. Um, and if anyone's going down this route, I always describe it, um, I call it the product hierarchy. I always describe it as the giant coin sorting machine, which means that we're comparing apples with apples. So if you've got a particular product type, let's say annual parts or Paris Park and Gardens or Park and Gardens, you budget against that item, against adult, child, concession, family, young adult, whatever. You create a product hierarchy that matches that to your actual ticketing sales. And it doesn't matter then who, who sells your ticket, you're matching to that same product hierarchy. So think of it as a giant consorting machine that then every five minutes builds that single source of the truth in a database, then can be reported out either through digital screens, applications, um, or Power BI. So lots of opportunities. It's incredible. That level of, of, of access that you can give people now, that must have improved how the team feel about their working day. You know, it must have really helped with kind of like team culture and, and, key, and team, you know, morale absolutely you know one it's, it's about engaging you know our teams are really important people are the most important thing we have for multi we have, have at Blenheim so you know having a series of management accounts they never see you know that their impact of engaging our businesses and giving our businesses a really good time you know focusing on that net promoter score and um, giving the access to that information so well done look at the impact is, is really important um, so yeah, it's been it's been fairly transformational here at Blend. Wow, what do you think has been the biggest impact? Um, I think access to the data, better planning. There's more to do. You know, we're embedding uh, these tools and getting people to trust these tools. Are it's, it's no mean feat. So you know, getting good. What's nice to see is just when things aren't coming through quite right or. You know, car parts pieces, and we say it is, you know, it might be data pipeline that's, you know, got awry. You know, people very quickly come to us and say it's missing. So, you know, seven days a week, you know, our team is sort of monitoring and, and, and seeing people use it. Mood metrics, great. You know, our, our cleaners now, they clean our facilities based on usage because they can see how many right. people have used to lose, right. you know, or using our sensor data. So that's, again, all. It all impacts that net promoter score. And I, I will say on net promoter, love it or hate it, you know, net promoter score is all about looking backwards typically. What we try to do is to create uh, the equivalent to, you know, on the day, what can we do about it right now? How busy is traffic flowing on our drive? Do we need to open another kiosk? How busy will the cafe get at 11 o'clock? Will we run out of sandwiches so we've got alerting, looking at that comparison to similar day, and are we trading above or below that? You know, so again, we can send an alert to say, make some more sandwiches, do something else. Um, the lose need cleaning, all of these sorts of things are built into the visitor management system to allow us to really optimize not just the visitor experience, but our staff engagement and experience as well. So you've got this really proactive approach to it, which actually makes you reactive on the day because you can move quicker Absolutely. because you've got you can make easier decisions about things that's phenomenal i love that um the team have taken real ownership of that as well you know i think embedding something like this it can be quite challenging right people don't like change and and these things feel a bit scary but it feels like your team have really engaged with them and taken ownership of the system absolutely you know 
it's no mean feat. Two challenges in embedding something new like this. Absolutely, that's change management. Uh, the second thing is data pipelines, ensuring all of your sensors and everything is online and working. And when you're dealing with such high volume of data sets coming in, you really need to be absolutely on it. Um, second, second to the sort of broader and maybe more granular reporting, one one other thing we've devised is a series of KPIs, which pretty much any attraction, uh, most might already have a series of KPIs, but KPIs to look forward. So actually, in this moment in time, are we trading ahead or behind versus this time last year? So if you start comparing apples with apples at this moment in time, what was our last booking? We, we share these KPIs across the whole site, and that could be relation to the bookings or even you know spend per head versus budget spend per head for the next 30 days. We visually put these on all of our digital screens and very quickly can identify when we need to do something, could be driving up our marketing activity or celebrating success. You know, we, we've got a very clear picture, and that means everyone's along for the ride. Everyone gets access to this information. That's absolutely phenomenal. Joe, I'm going to come over to you now because I can only imagine what you were thinking when David came to you and said, right, we've got this idea. <laughs> this is what we want to do. Um, and you're one of the platforms, Venice is one of the platforms that that, that has been working with him. I think is it, it's quite a long relationship, is it? It's about 16 years. 16, 17 years now, I think. Yeah, I, I was five. How old were you, Joe? <laughs> wasn't conceived yet <laughs> wowzers that is a long relationship okay so I, I kind of want to know from you Joe to make this happen what have you had to do differently as a supplier so how have you had to interact with your clients needs and what steps did you have to go to to kind of understand what the outcome was going to be yeah so I, I think firstly that the system has a you know an enormous amount of data in it um, and I think the first step for us was to, to understand exactly what Blenheim were looking to get out of the system and plug into the sort of the data hub that David was talking about. So that kind of comprised of some initial conversations, of what they were trying to achieve. And then, you know, following that, it was, it was all about workshopping and, and making sure we were going to present the data in the format that, that David and the team at Blenheim Palace required. Yeah, I, I think fundamentally it was just working closely with the team there and, and getting those requirements in detail and making sure we weren't missing anything and, and, and really, you know, understanding everything they were trying to achieve and, and pushing that in an, a simple and easy format for the team to then, you know, push into their views and into their KPIs that they required. Really, the main focus for us was, was pushing that data out uh, to David and the team into that data hub in a, in that format that was easily accessible and sort of manipulated for them I guess there's so there's so much it's understanding what what are the key points you know what are the variables here what are the key points that that we need to do this and how do we go about how do we go about doing this for you absolutely because there's a number of options and a number of different ways that data can be pushed to clients so it's understanding what the best is for that client and and their resource because that's also important not every attraction has unlimited resource or you know, the expertise in-house to to sort of obtain that data. But also, even if they can obtain that data, they might not have that sort of resource to then create their own dashboards and create their own reporting tools from a repository. So, yeah, it's really understanding every kind of asset and every level to that 
sort of client and then working closely with them to, to achieve their goal. So it might be more resource from our side or working closely with the, the expertise that they might have in-house. Or suggesting that they might need to get extra expertise. So absolutely, this is something that we that we talk about in terms of API integration all the time is that it, it absolutely can be done with any of the systems that you have. If they have an API, yes, you can integrate it into whatever, you know, other system that you want. But who takes ownership of that internally? Um, and do you have do they have the, the capability and do they have the resource and do they have the, the, the capacity to do that and if that's a no who can be trained to do those things and how do we facilitate that as well yeah absolutely and and, and in this case I mean as David's highlighted he's clearly got the uh, expertise himself and, and others around him to, to produce all these fantastic sort of views and dashboards that are displayed all around Blenheim Palace so in this sort of example um, with Blenheim Palace, it was um, yeah, it was all about getting the data to them and making sure it was in a format that they could work with easily. And you've worked together, you know, Joe. You said about six years you've been at Venesis now, but the you know the organisation has worked with Blenheim for for over sixteen years, which is testament to to the relationship and 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 the product that you have. Has this process that you've been through together has this changed or strengthened the the kind of relationship between supplier and client? Yes, I, I think from our, our point of view, we, we like to see it as a, a partnership. I think David would agree. And, and we, you know, we want to be a part of their journey, but also Blenheim want to be a part of our journey. So we're, we're helping one another to achieve our, our individual goal, goals but as a partnership. Um, so that relationship goes from strength to strength. Um, and, you know, we continue to, to have those conversations, whether that's, you know, myself or others within the business to, to Blenheim Palace around, you know, things that we're you know coming up against in the industry but also vice versa so you know if david's got his ear to the ground and has a suggestion around how our platform could be improved you know that's fed back to us and we have that you know back and forth between client and supplier but yeah we like to see it as a as a a partnership and work closely with them to achieve their goals and also our goals together um as part i don't want to make i I don't want to make joe cry because i've already made you cry kelly but um (laughs) no Seriously, it's, you know, over that course of 17 years, and I'm sure lots of people listening to this podcast will realize that it's always challenging working with other suppliers. You have your ups and you have your downs, but, you know, we've had way more ups and we've had downs. And, you know, our business has changed massively. You know, we went through a process of becoming a charity. So suddenly gift aid on admissions is really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Joe and the team really helped us achieve that. You know, Vanborough was not a very good uh, forward planner in terms of it. He was a great architect, but actually we have a single point of entry and to try and gift aid so many visitors. We have a million visitors a year come to them. To try and gift aid such a large number on a driveway is really, really difficult. So actually working through that gift aid at the gate process, we're looking at that gift aid opportunity was one of the key projects really that we, we work with Vensys on. But that's where the good things come out of client-supplier relationships is that you're both challenging each other on what the objectives are and what the outcomes potentially could be. So you work in partnership together and then everybody gets the better outcome. When we first spoke about this topic, what I thought was brilliant is that you have such a great case study. You have such a great showcase piece here, both of you, for how you've worked together and what you've been able to develop. Um I've absolutely said that you need to pitch this as a talk at the Museum and Heritage Show because I think it's an absolutely brilliant topic for it. It's so current um, and something that 
other organisations can go away and kind of model on. I don't know if you, you, you saw, we had Nick Winus on from um, the Tank Museum uh, last season who came on and basically just, he gives away his kind of process as to how they've developed their their YouTube following and, and how they've developed kind of a, a sales strategy from it. And it's it's brilliant. But, you know, he, he he's great at kind of coming on and going, yeah, this is what I did and this is what we did and this is the process. And here you go, go and do it. And I think you have a, an opportunity to do that together, which I think is lovely. Isn't it? Isn't it nice though that we don't feel it in competition Completely. and we can work together? Um, we we created what we call the Continual Improvement and Innovation Group, which uh, we have lots of members who have joined from all different places, from Chatsworth to Beverly to Hatfield House and so on. And all that is is a is a Slack channel. It's a six monthly meeting where we all come together and we discuss our challenges. You talked about are there many head of innovations? Well, may not be, but actually sharing our insights and sharing our lessons learned is incredibly important. And that's not just Blenheim, you know, lots of other attractions are doing lots of brilliant, brilliant things as well. And we can learn from them. So really, really exciting, I think, to do that. And um again, very, very open. I will say, and I'm 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 not going to plug a gift aid company, but um there's something called Swift Aid that we're just looking at. And wow, can we do retrospective gift aiding? Is it worth lots of money for lots of attractions to have gift aid on their admissions? Yes, it is. Well worth looking that up. Ultimately, they have a, a database of 8 million centralized gift aid declarations that you can utilize. Um, there's commission, but it's well worth looking at. If anyone wants information, please just link, link it, LinkedIn with me and we'll um, we'll discuss it. Oh, I love that. Again, this is, comes back to what we've always said about how collaborative and, and open to sharing information this sector is. Um, what we'll do is in the show notes, uh, listeners, we will link to both David and Joe's LinkedIn profiles. If you want to connect with them, feel free. Um, and then actually, David, if there's anything, Joe, if there's anything you want to share that we can add into those as well that would be useful for listeners, then we'll pop them in there as well. Um, Joe, as a I got actually, David, I've got one more question for you on on that Slack channel, which I think is really interesting. It, it's great that you've set that up. I think um, those kind of platforms are really good at just facilitating conversation, and it's really good to understand what people are doing from a supplier perspective. Do you have suppliers as part of that conversation as well, or is it purely attractions? I've kept it non, I'd say non commercial, um, but we have invited speakers into the group come and talk about it but it's uh, yeah at the moment it's a close environment um i think most people are more comfortable having sort of open conversations but what yeah. it's really good good at doing is it could be a, a question about you know compliance or sustainability or so returnable cuts is the good one um it could be varying topics and we can just provide access to the right people here at blenheim and vice versa in other organizations if we've got questions so yeah, it, it works. It's growing. It's open. It's not ours. It's everyone's. So if uh, if anyone wants to join it, then we'll we'll stick a link a link in um, maybe on the podcast at the end of this. Oh, fab! That's brilliant. Yeah, great. I think that's a really nice way of doing it with suppliers as well. It, it's difficult. I think um, Joe and I would probably say, you know, it, all of these conversations are really interesting for us because it it helps us understand the challenges that that you know the sector has and it helps us understand how we can make the things that we do so much better so it's hard sometimes when there's closed environments like that but the sector does so brilliantly at putting on you know conferences and organizations that we can all be part of as well and and again you know platforms like this where we can come on and share the things that we're doing that brings me back to the last question for you joe is about 
has this has this process between the two of you and what you've been able to build together has that helped Venesis as a supplier build out other services that you can then offer to kind of the wider sector yeah so i i think through this journey we've realized that you know data is is really critical um but we also realized as we kind of mentioned before that not everyone has the resource to to build their own visualizations of data and, and linking those to their sort of key performance indicators so we work with power bi as well um on behalf of our clients so we can also visualize that data that's within our systems um and that's really to to help them get the most out of the data that is in our system but also in that sort of more real-time scenario rather than having to you know extract a port uh, a report put it that into an excel and get those get that information out so that that's one service that's kind of come out of that relationship but also expanding on our sort of open api as well so the additional endpoints so that clients can also you know extract that data in real time um and that continues to grow with other clients as well as we sort of go down that journey with some other clients so absolutely it's helped us sort of open up another avenue which has benefited other clients you know in the past couple of years but also moving forward as we sort of expand on it brilliant and that's the sign of a true partnership isn't it there's been some incredible wins for both of you involved and it's um yeah it's it's brought new opportunities to both of the organizations thank you both for coming on and sharing this today so we always end the podcast with book recommendations from our guests so i wondered if you've both been able to pick a book that you'd like to share with our listeners today what have you got for us joe we'll start with you Mine's a little bit, a little bit out there. So we know it's not Harry Potter, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. Well, that would be a curveball if I started to uh, to plug the Harry Potter series. Hey, um, uh, yeah. So recently, I was uh, in Albania and Tirana, and I was on a guided tour, and they were talking about the the Ottoman period, and and I realised I, I knew nothing about the Ottoman history, and and uh, was very interested to learn a bit more. So my in laws purchased a book called Lord of the Horizons which is all about the the history of the Ottoman Empire. So that's my current read at the moment. And um, if you're into your history and into your, your sort of empires, it's, uh, it's definitely worth a read. So that's my recommendation, The Lord of Horizons. Nice, Joe. We've just got a little insight into into some of your, <laughs> your hobbies there and your and your yeah. likes that we didn't know about. Good. Okay, thank you. David, what about you? Mine is The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollobin. It's an incredible book. Now, I, I read lots of strategy books, paper books. My wife thinks I'm really sad. Uh, this book is not any of that. This is about how trees communicate. And I was absolutely enthralled with it. So this talks about the mycorrhizal networks, how trees communicate through their roots, the noises and the sounds that trees make when they're struggling, when they're thirsty. Um, it led to a lot of um, laughter on holiday with my daughter, drawing pictures of trees with ears. But trees can actually hear um and from that i was able to come back um and and look at one of our land projects where we're building a small solar farm at the moment and actually looking at the sort of benefits to soil health when we're, when we're putting solar on sort of very degraded farmland so we're, we're using something called soil ecoacoustics that will allow us to listen to the sound of soil so listen to soil for it ultimately to index how healthy that soil is so this one book has led to me reading a number of different research papers, cooking up with the universities to then test and trial something completely um, brilliant um, around identifying soil health through acoustics. So 
book is absolutely oh. brilliant. There's a follow-on book, but if you look at Peter Wallabin, um, he's written a number of books, absolutely fascinating. Okay, wow, one, what an incredible book. I had no idea that trees could hear or talk. That's blown my mind a little bit, especially as someone who's a bit of a tree hugger, I'm not going to lie. I actually had made a statement. I was with a client yesterday and we were talking about AI and I said, I just sometimes the conversations around AI just make me want to go outside and hug the tree in my back garden, take my suit, shoes and socks off and just put my feet on the grass because I just want to connect with nature again and just get out of a tech world. Um, so there's that. So I'm definitely going to buy that book. But two, how your mind works as well. <laughs> how that book has taken you on a journey of of innovation again into something, you know, connected but completely different. I yeah, it's it's again it's gonna be data. So you're you're welcome. We'll happily show you that site and uh, and put some headphones on you and uh, and we'll we'll make this public as well. So hopefully we can share the secret sound of soil and other things as well. But uh, it's I mean, really fascinating. That to me sounds like a David Attenborough show. Maybe we'll make it another podcast episode at some point. I'd love that. And um, thank you both for coming on and sharing today. Um, as ever, if you want to win a copy of Joe and David's books, uh, go over to our Twitter account, account, retweet this episode announcement with the words, I want Joe and David's books, and you'll be in with the chance of winning them. Wow. Thank you for sharing. It's been an absolutely insightful podcast. There's lots of things that we're going to put in the show notes um, for you all. And as Joe and David said, please do. If you've got questions around what we've talked about today, feel free to connect and we'll pop a link to that Slack group in the show notes too, so you can join in with these conversations. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.